Today, I wanted to continue uh, in our posture of open worship um, with something uh, that I wrote as I was preparing for this, this message. So it's called Choose Church. Uh, but as I was preparing my heart, I recognized that there are some declarations that started to surface for me. Um, so if you would take a posture of response um, I'm going to read these little phrases, and then I'd like for you to repeat it out loud. Um, so wherever you're at, um, I'll read the good news followed by the next line, and then you're going to declare that as well. So let's do this together, and I'll give a little space for you to do that. Good news. This is a house of praise. Good news. We are here to learn, listen, and respond. Good news. God is the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, and he loves me. Good news, we are broken. Jesus is our restoration. We are sinful. Jesus forgives us when we trust and believe in him. When we are weary, Jesus is our rest. We are broken. Jesus is our Uh, now let's say this together. Good news. I hope that you believe that this is good news. I hope that as you hear these words, it almost stirs up within you the angels announcing the birth of Jesus. Something to that effect. It is good news. Glad tidings of, good jo of great joy. When I hear these thoughts and as I wrote them down, it put me in a posture of saying, Lord, this is your house. Would you prepare my heart to worship you? And we've already been doing this, so this is delightful. Uh, but this, uh, maybe you want to rewrite it in your own mind, too, of preparing yourself for worship. It's important, and I hope that we will all uh, experience this together in a new and a fresh way today. Well, when I say choose church, I wanted to start off by explaining something that happened for me for many, many years, from actually grades two through my entire college career. I played basketball, and for me, it was probably bordering on almost religious. I had a very religious spirit about sports. I felt like they were the most important thing, and I really had to deal with that quite a bit. But I can't tell you how many times a similar type of look, I would go into a basketball gym and there was just something about it. Uh, it meant exercise, it meant 
fun, it meant joy, it meant uh, sweat and labor and difficulty. But for me, uh, you know, some, everybody has their different way of exercising, some more than others. But for me, basketball didn't feel like exercise. It was something that I could shut my mind off and just have fun. I could dribble a ball around, I could shoot, and my brain was just content. I wasn't thinking about the troubles of the world. But I want to describe today, as we talk about choosing church, and I'm, I'm going to get there because I want us to connect with what happened for me. For me, basketball, I have this pre-practice ritual that I would always go through. Even when I was itty-bitty, I would go out on the court, whether it was outside or inside a gym, and I would get there early before the coaches, usually, and I would run. I would just run down and back, down and back, down and back, down and back, until I broke a sweat. And then I would do some stretching. I wouldn't push myself too hard. I just wanted to stretch. I wanted to prepare my body for further growth that day. Then I would always do a, a warm-up drill where I would do layups. And you might be like, yeah, Keith, that sounds really, really difficult. But I, I want to tell you why I started with layups. If you don't know anything about basketball, layup is the most simple shot. You should be able to make it. And I would shoot 20 to 30 of those, and I usually made almost all of them. I would do that 20 to 30 times, and then I would take a step back. And then I would start shooting from there. And there's something about that swish sound as it would go in, or hitting it off the backboard and having it go in, and just consistently seeing it go in was so good for me. By this time, usually the other teammates were there and they were starting to warm up, and they would always see me making early shots. Practice usually didn't start uh, for maybe five more minutes, but I would never get past the free throw line. I would always shoot inside the free throw line. Do you want to know why? I know you're nodding online too. I did this because I wanted to convince and almost trick my mind that it was expecting to make a shot. And actually, if you know anything about me, you know that I wasn't an inside threat. They didn't call me a big guy. I wasn't a post player. When I was in college, I was the shooting guard. So when people watched me warm up, it was always a little deceiving because they'd say, oh, he's a post player. He's going to shoot close. But when the game would start, I had made close to 100 shots already, and I probably hadn't even shot my main shot, which was the three-pointer. And I say all this, and you might be like, well, why don't you start at the three-pointer? Do you know why I don't start at the three-pointer? I'm not as consistent. I will miss significantly more three-pointers than I will ever make a layup. Now, why? If you look at my stats, I was actually a pretty decent three-point shooter. I was in the mid to upper 40% range for my career. I tell you this because it took me working on the basics, seeing early success and setting a consistent standard for myself that actually pushed me to grow. Now, I want you to connect this with church because there really isn't a huge connection other than the consistency piece. 
So often in church, we, we have this measure or this bar that we don't even articulate. We don't even tell others of who we're trying to look like or sound like in church. Perhaps it's an elder. Perhaps it's um, a great person of faith or a missionary or a, a preacher or, or an elder, whoever it may be. And you look up to them and you think, I wonder how they get there. I wonder what it took for them to grow more in love with Jesus. You know, most, most people that I would consider as elders, if I were to ask them that, probably the main thing they would respond with is consistency. Spending time in God's word, spending time in prayer, humbling themselves and coming before God. Those might sound like layups, but when you make a ton of layups, they're worth a lot of points. And when you spend a lot of time with Jesus, you start to know him really well. And there's always room for growth. Now, why do I connect those two things? Because what I want you to hear today is I want your, I want your appetite to grow for God. I want you to grow more in love with him. I want you to not just hope that you'll grow and, and that you'll eventually be a faithful follower of Jesus, but kind of accidentally, but I want you to commit yourself to the basics of Christianity. That means reading God's word. If you don't know where to start, the New Testament, it's like the, the, the last fourth of the Bible. This is the writings of the apostles of Jesus and those that knew Jesus really well. And it's the stories and the truths of how Jesus lived. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and Acts and Romans. And we'll, we'll talk about Acts today. Getting to know the basics, reading, so you're not just reading it as a story on a page, but you're seeing it as a truth and historically accurate. You start to see that these places did exist some 2,000 years ago, and that Jesus really did these things because 500 or more witnesses saw and were walking with Jesus, and, and these things couldn't have been lies. When we look at the evidence, the evidence demands that these things took place. So I hope that you will take the time to say, I believe, I want to commit to consistently walking with God, walking with Jesus. Now, I can't convince you, or I can't plead my case without uh, this next thought. Why do we need church? And I hope to answer that today. Why do we need church? But before we get there, I think the, the question or the, the thought is, I want to explain what church is not. Based on your experience, some people have bad impressions of church. I don't know if you know this or not. But when you go out in the world, there are some people that just don't like church. When they hear, oh, you go to a church, oh, they're just about money. They just want your money. Oh, did you hear about that, that pastor that did that awful thing? Did you hear, oh, well, well, that church did that. You hear these things, and that's the immediate reaction to church. So let me tell you what church is not. Truly following Jesus means that we are not like the world and that we are not a marketing scheme. When I look at this picture, it brings back this thought. I, 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 this was an ad out of a magazine, and it was 
that you wanted stainless steel products in your kitchen. So it made me crack up just to think that where we've come uh, in this. But I love that they have all the lines to make it look like it's everything shiny and happy. And uh, it, it, it fascinates me to consider how people try to market everything. So when I say church is not marketing, consider all the ways that you've been marketed to, probably even on your drive here today. There's notifications that go off on your phone. If you, if you have certain settings on your phone, even when you drive by businesses, they'll, they'll, Google will assume that you have been there. And they'll say, how was your meal? And I didn't even, I just stopped nearby. I mean, there are so many ads that we set ourselves up to. And the world will, they will send you these, these trial offers. Or if you purchase this, your life will be complete. Or if you sign up for this, this, will, this uh, subscription will change everything for you. Have you ever walked through, I mean, it's been a while, so don't get me wrong. I hope you can remember back in the, the days when people were out side and in businesses. But when you would walk in a business and somebody would try to spray you with cologne or perfume, do you remember those days? Do you remember the days when you'd be walking? Um, that Actually, this happened at Costco recently to me. When you're walking and they're talking about a product and I feel bad. I don't want to be the, the jerk that just walks by when they're, so, they're talking about this food or whatever. But I don't want that food. I don't want to talk about that food. I don't even want to small talk about that food. I'm sorry, you have that job. It's painful for me. I don't want to talk about that marketing thing. I mean, if you want to give me the bag of chips, that's a different story. But it's crazy to me how we market. And that poor person, if they don't get a little hook into you and get you reeled in a little bit, they just start over. And I remember as a child, I used to think, but I felt convicted. They had just done this huge spiel. And I remember my parents like, no, you don't have to buy anything. And I remember thinking, I think I do have to buy something. It just felt really ugly inside. Just, well, but they just talked to me for 30 seconds. So when you hear these things, the world will just pressure you into all of these decisions and try to get you to buy and try to get you in and try to keep you as one of their customers. That My hope today is that you were not duped into clicking this link, uh, that you weren't uh, forced to darken the doors of church today. My hope is that you were curious, not to find problems here, but to see I wonder what God's up to. I wonder if there's a song that, that needs to be stirred within my heart. Maybe you were excited. Maybe there was anticipation. Can you imagine if we could have like a number bar, one to 10? What's your expectation as you come into church and you have to like hit a button as you walk in? And I could look in the back and be like, oh, today's a 7.9. Okay, we're almost there. We're, we're almost expecting God. We're almost ready. I wonder what you are thinking. Are you hoping to be challenged in your faith? Do you come with a grudge? Do you come joyfully? Are you hoping to be inspired? Are you hoping to laugh? Are you hoping, I don't know that anybody hopes to cry, but perhaps there's, there's something within you that you came expecting. So what is your goal? What is your hope? I want you to know what I'm expecting. 
And I think this needs to come up. When I say what church is not, here's what I believe church is. And this is Keith Reeser's definition. You're not going to find this written anywhere else. But my expectation is I want to grow closer with God. That's why I come. I want to know I want to hear, I want to see, I want to believe more deeply in the teachings of Jesus Christ. I want to understand that in a new and a fresh way. I want to declare my love for God unrestrained, unrestricted. I don't want to look around and wonder what everyone else is thinking about me. I want to profess my love to God. And that's why we sing these songs. That's why we read his words, because I hope it's for you personally, you are sharing your love for God. That's why we come. That's why I come. And I hope that you hear this expectation that I would hope that you expect this as well. And once I've declared my love for God, I don't always get this right. Certainly, I mess it up plenty. But once I've declared my love for God, that's when I start to look around the room. God, what's the, what's the move of the Spirit today? Is there a word from someone else? Is there a posture that I need to take? Is there any pride within me? Am I supposed to say that? Lord, would you give me peace? Or perhaps I see someone that's struggling or in trouble, and I can show the love of Christ to them. That's what church is. It's first and foremost, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. So as you come to church, and you've postured yourself sharing and declaring your love for God, start looking around right after that. Who needs the love of God today? Are you looking around? Are you finding ways to love your neighbor? Well, before going too much further, I'm going to just briefly uh, discuss more about church. You see, church isn't, doesn't mean it has to have a steeple. Church doesn't mean that it has to be four walls. Church means that you are gathering as an assembly of believers. This means gathering together with others and connecting with one another. This means everyone's attention is not on themselves, but on God. Because if you follow and believe in God, you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then it says in, in God's word that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So if there's a room full of people where the Holy Spirit dwells, then your communication with one another should be much different. We are also called the bride of Christ. And if you look in Ephesians 5, you will see that it says... We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It talks about wives and husbands in their relationship together, but also the similar connection with the love for Christ, and it's a mutual back and forth. He loved the church. He died for the church just as the husband loves the wife and be willing to die for the wife. There's in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, it even says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church. 
So if Christ did all these things for us, the church, then we should give our offering to God in worship and in word and in deed and in joy and and in sorrow with those who are grieving. We are the church united together in fellowship. And it should be a holy atmosphere. When you've been in God's house, it's almost as though you're like Moses of the Old Testament when he spent time with God on the mountain and God's presence. And Moses didn't even see the full glory of God, but God's presence was so bright, so beautiful, so holy that it illuminated his face that when he came down, the people said, whoa, could you put a veil on? You're glowing and we can't look at you. And he was only merely a reflection of the glory of God. Can you imagine Moses coming off that mountain? It was like he didn't even need a flashlight. The guy could have come down at night. The guy was glowing. I just can't fathom that situation. But yet, when you leave these doors, do you say, praise God, I was just in your presence Praise God, I was able to share my my love for you. Praise God that so-and-so was there that I could encourage and pick them up and build them up in their faith. Praise God that so-and-so shared their testimony today and it challenged and pushed me. Praise God that someone else shared, and I don't know why they shared, but I bet it was very impactful for someone else in the room. So, Lord, would you use those words that I don't even understand? Or the moment you get out the door, do you have those other words that come to your mind? Well, I wish church would have been fill in the blank. I wish that it would have been like this. My hope is that we leave those those other thoughts at the door. When we walk into God's house, it's for God's glory. It's a worship service for him. So as I say these things, I hope today that you will be asking, well, how did Jesus go to church? Because that question came to my mind, and I thought, well, that would be fascinating. We don't get a lot. We get his ministry years. We see and recognize how he ministered to others, and we see how he read from the scroll. We see many illustrations that Jesus was constantly in fellowship or, some, or even in the house of God worshiping. But wouldn't it have been odd to go to church with Jesus? As Can you imagine what was going on in his mind as someone read the scroll that wasn't very passionate? Or someone was was reading his words, basically. God's words were being spoken that were illustrated through a man or a woman that wrote them down and articulated them. As he heard those things, wow, that's a hard thought for me. What did Jesus think as he attended church? But perhaps we'll go with what we do know about Jesus. This is what we do know about his going to church. 
You know, in those days, they would read from the Torah the first few books of the Old Testament. The first, they would have been scrolls. But scrolls were a prized commodity, and they would travel from village to village. So the fact that your, um, your synagogue had a certain scroll, that meant that you would read it in its entirety while it was there. So it was quite a blessing to have different passages of Scripture and it wasn't easy to, to transport them, to get them. So you really focused and you memorized the words of God because you wanted to know him more deeply, but you also wanted to be able to recall. There would have been songs that were, or psalms that were read, and perhaps they even sung them. There were moments of praise and worship. There was also this other side that we don't see because Jesus fulfilled Scripture. There was the sacrificial system. So there would have been people bringing in doves and other animals and sheep to be sacrificed at different seasons to atone for their sins, to make them right with God. They were to give these offerings. Can you imagine what the whisperings had been like? Between the Old and the New Testament, there was some 400 years of what we call the silence. It wasn't silent. People actually spoke there. Uh, but there, there were really unrecorded scriptural years. But I like to think as they sat in church, I wonder how often as they talked about King David and they mentioned, ooh, there's going to be someone who takes the throne someday that will be in the lineage of David and he will fulfill the prophecy that someone from David's line will reign forever. Can you imagine those whispers? We see that in, from the line of Melchizedek, a, a gentleman from a prophet from the Old Testament that is barely referenced, but we see that he, we don't know much about him, but we do know that God would send himself in the prophetic line as well, the priestly line and that he would reign forever. I'm fascinated to see and to imagine the whispers, I wonder when the Messiah will come. But that's for another time. When we see Jesus, we see him in scripture, he is in villages. He's on hillsides, he's by the river, he's in a boat, he's in a home, he's at parties. He's at celebrations, but he's also where people die. He's everywhere. He's in the community. He does all of these normal things. He, he's a wanderer, but sometimes he just stops and sits with people. But he always speaks the truths of God. Luke 21 captures this so well. Every day, Jesus went to the temple to teach, and each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. This is just one section of his life. But I've, I, fa I can't fathom how refreshing it would have been for Jesus to go into the temple to be refreshed, to be encouraged, to be reminded of his Father's love. You see, Jesus was a part of the community. He was connecting with everyone. Whatever season they were in, he was right beside them. And I want to ask you this. Are you connected to the community of believers? That doesn't mean that you have to be in these, this physical building. 
And praise God for that, because we're not constrained to, we don't have to force our way here. This isn't where worship happens only. Jesus was out in the community. Jesus was worshipful in his words, in his deeds, in his love, in his healings, in his prayers. When he was sitting around a campfire, when he was enjoying a fresh-caught fish that they had cooked up, when he was breaking bread, when he was um, letting little children come and sit on his lap so he could teach them and love them, Jesus was present. Jesus was engaged. And before he left, before he was crucified, before he rose from the dead, before he ascended back into heaven, he didn't hand us a list of rules that said, this is how church should be someday. It should look exactly like this. And I sometimes wish that he would have given us a little more direction, but I'm also glad he didn't. But we do know that we are to gather. We do know that we're better in fellowship with one another. We do know that it's good and pleasing to the Lord that we worship him. You know what we sometimes do, and we meaning the church in general, but also this local mission field, this church here, You know what we sometimes do is we make it about the building or the event. We make it about the ministries or the campaigns. Or we make it about the rules that have been passed on from generation to generation. But they don't have anything to do with the the task at hand. So I have to ask the Lord, help me not to bind myself up with more rules, but help me to experience your grace, Jesus, and to see everyone as a soul that needs Jesus to fill that void in their life. So this is what the church did. In its earliest days, I love to look at Acts chapter 2, and this is the passage that I, I, I saved it for the end because I want us to arrive at this, that this is what church is to look like. And certainly it it won't always be this perfect, but when the believers had been filled with the Holy Spirit, they were gathering together. They They were, I could just imagine them talking about, I'm sure they were talking about small groups and and, and uh, new sermon series? No, probably not. I'm pretty sure they were just enjoying fellowship and talking about what Jesus had done. I'm sure there was just, can you believe that Jesus did this? Or remember that one time when Jesus, can you imagine the fellowship here? So be caught up in this passage, Acts 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship 
those that were being saved. Do you ever pray like this, Lord, would you add to our numbers every day? The numbers meaning, Lord, would you add to your kingdom people that declare you are Lord and Savior every day? Do you pray that when you break bread with people, it would be an opportunity to get to know their heart, but also for them to know your heart, for you to be able to share how Jesus satisfies your every need, for you to be able to share with them, whether it be a possession or a kind and encouraging word. How delightful it is to be around others that glow almost like Moses did. Are you glowing for others? Do they see the light of Christ within you? I want to ask that you and I will show up, not with, not with an agenda to church, that we will choose church because we want to grow closer to Jesus, seeking his will, not our own. Maybe this will connect with you. Have you ever gone to a pool and just um, enjoyed the, the cool sensation of the water on a hot day? Not really the season for it right now. I can imagine this, but don't really want to go swimming outside today. Um, but if you've ever gone to a pool as a kid, has anybody else done this, where you go as a kid and you're just, oh, there, there's nothing like being a kid and jumping in the pool. Even when the signs say no cannonballs and no diving, as a kid, it's like, well, that's for the adults. That's not for me. But there was, there was the dreaded moment when the whistle would blow from the lifeguards. Did anybody else get this? And it was always like whenever I had just gotten in the pool. They'd blow the whistle and be like, adult swim, what? Well, they could be in here. They can do whatever they want. But there was these moments of pause, and it was like every kid just sitting on the side with just that look of, come on. I just remember being so frustrated uh, I was reading a, an illustration from another uh, pastor, and it cracked me up because he said um, the pool, for him, there was this dreaded moment when he, they had paid to get into the public pool or whatever, and they walked in, and he, got, he was all ready. He had gone and changed. He comes out. I mean, you got, your, you got your pool noodle. He had, like, his floaties on. He was ecstatic. He was a little kid. And he goes running and, and <laughs> blew the whistle, and they said, we got to... Uh, we just we just shocked the pool, and he, what? It was like one in the afternoon. That's the absolute worst time to shock the pool. Apparently, if you know the drill, you have to test the pool, and if it comes up, it's got too much contaminants, and you know what's in public pools. I don't need to go in all the details, but they hadn't got anything right, so they had to shock the pool. They had to put chemicals in the pool to try and balance out. Don't I don't know anything. I'm just I'm just kind of trying to talk here. Uh, but they had to put this stuff in, and you don't want to get in because it's bad for your body when the pool hasn't recalibrated and gotten back into its a, a good standard. I want us to consider for just a moment if you could hit pause in your church life like a pool shock, 
How, when you come to church, do you have all these expectations and all these things that you think it needs to be like, or do you need to take a step back and really look at how you're doing church? Yes, you've chosen to attend, but is your heart right? Do you need to pause and listen before you go in? Do you need to give your attention more entirely to the Lord? Do you need to ask that the Lord would fix your heart before you go in? And I want to give you the, these thoughts and these challenges. I want you to understand how beautiful it is to be invited to church. You might think to yourself, Keith, who am I going to invite? Who could I possibly share um, a, a question of how are you doing or um, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? But I, I, I want to guarantee that there is someone in your phone or in your social media or somewhere out there that you could ask this question of and they haven't been asked in a very long time. We are built for relationship. And when somebody knows you deep enough to ask the question, not just how are you doing, but how are you really doing, and they won't let you skip that question, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's days when I don't want to answer it either. I'm not trying to say that I'm perfect in this way. But I would love for you to consider someone that you need to grow closer to. Perhaps this means that you need to pull out one person out of your contacts and you need to call them. You need to invite them. Perhaps inviting them to church is too much. Perhaps you just need to invite them to um, just a phone call. Hey, I'd love to call you and just connect with you. But if you feel the prompting to invite them to church, my hope is that you will save them a seat. You'll stream the same thing together and observe the same thing together, and then you'll talk about it. Church isn't meant for a talking head to stand up here and just talk at you. It's meant to be relational. It's meant to have feedback and, and conversation. We've Americanized it. I've Americanized it. I get it wrong, too. My hope is that you will connect with others. You'll ask others how they can grow or perhaps you just share how you're growing and what God's teaching you. So I ask you this because I know it's uncomfortable, but who are you feeling a prompting to right now? I guess unless you're watching the stream on your phone, that'd be a little difficult. But if right now you can stop, come back to this point of the message and give them a call and check in on them or send them a text or an email. Who's that person that you need to invest in? Because the community at Newburgh Friends, the community in your life, the church that you bring, it's as only as good as you make it. So when we talk about thriving as a church, that means everyone is thriving. We're not gonna arrive at thriving just because we have the right leaders in place. We arrive at thriving because you're all in the game. You're all sharing and communicating the love for Jesus. I wanna read from Hebrews chapter 10, just as verses 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
And let us not neglect our meetings together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his, Jesus' return, is drawing near. Who do you need to motivate? And that could mean that you do all the work. When you show love to some people, it might mean that you have to show them all the love and do all the work. But Jesus did the same. We weren't deserving of love. We weren't deserving of care, yet he died for us. We weren't deserving of healing and restoration, yet he restores our souls. So if you can extend that same type of grace and love that Jesus extends, it's worth it. And it's not going to get you a pat on the back because there's some difficult people out there and nobody may notice who you're ministering to. And that's good. Because if you are ministering, it's for God's glory. That's why we do this. It's not so that others will say, wow, you're so good at that. If that person is brought to Jesus, that is what I want to celebrate. So I want to swing it all the way back around to basketball because that's what I'm. <laughs> that's what I love. <laughs> um, when I consider the end of the practice, when the coach has gone through the drills and we've gone through all the plays, and you know, there's that moment when the the stadium clears and. Um, the gym is empty and the lights get shut off. Sometimes I would just stay. And my, my muscles were sore and my brain was filled up with new drills and plays and all these different things. And maybe you feel the same way, but I want to connect it to church. Sometimes when you've been at church, it can feel like somebody just sprayed you with the fire hose. There were so many thoughts and ideas, and you'd, whoa, that was a lot. Or maybe there was a song, oh, I just want to think back on those words of that song again. That's why it's so fun that we record these messages. Now, you can go back and listen. You can go back and hit pause. Or maybe you just said, that passage of Scripture requires that I spend some more time with it. So as practice is coming to a close, this is worship practice, guys. As this practice comes to a close, here's what I did every time in basketball. When the room was clear, I would sit and I would stretch again. Why do you stretch when it's complete? Because you want your muscles to expand and to relax, and you want to see growth take place. You don't want your body to cramp up. Spiritually speaking, take some time to process what God is teaching you. Whether that's a posture of sitting and listening, silence, rereading, having a conversation with a pastor or a friend that's sitting near you, take some time and say, Lord, what do I need to receive today? Because otherwise, all this worship practice that we're doing, we could throw it all away if you're not growing and you're not wanting to grow closer to Jesus. 
This isn't just a show. Our desire is that you will say, now I'm ready to go play the real game. I'm ready to go live my real life for your glory outside these walls, outside this online space. That's my hope for us today. Good news. Do you believe it's good news today? Let me pray over you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you have shown us your good news in this smooth path forward, that you love us and you care for us deeply. Help us to process the, the songs that we've sung. Help us to process the words that we've heard, the challenges that we've received, the scriptures that have been brought up in a new way, in a new perspective that have helped us see from a different perspective. We want to live like you, Jesus. We want to be like the early church. We want to motivate one another to acts of good love and, and good works. May we be about your kingdom work, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.